Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. This is the world Great morning, great morning, great morning, precious people. You know what time it is. It's time for your culture call. That's right. The number one talk show hosted right here by yours, truly Elspeth Smith, right here on Praise 93.3 FM, your inspiration station. It is indeed the place where Tuscaloosa meets the world. And for the next couple of hours from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're going to be talking a little bit about, that's right, everything. Talking about everything from society to sports, education to economics, from religion to relationships. And as always, we are here to create a safe space to have empowering, provocative, and yes, sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? We can learn right here and chat it up together right here on The Culture Call. Listen, want to send a special welcome uh, to those of you who might be first-time listeners to the CC. Yeah, The Culture Call. Welcome to the CC family. We are excited to have you join us uh, to this morning. I'm telling you, Every day throughout the week, we are talking about something that is pivotal, powerful, and hopefully palatable so that you can take it along with you and learn. And so we are glad to have you with us on this journey. Please understand, from the bottom of a grateful heart, I am glad to have you on. And of course, to all of our consistent, regular listeners, we want to thank you so very much for making the culture call what it is. That's right. The number one talk show. That's right. We are grateful right here in Tuscaloosa and all around the country. We are uh, we are resplendently proud to have you a part of the CC family. And guess what? The best is yet to come. Want to always send a shout out to the the awesome, the inimitable, the wonderful brother Jay that blazes up the radio. That's right. From 5 a.m. all the way up and passes that hot baton to me playing the best and great gospel music right here at Praise 93.3. I'm telling you, it is something to behold watching him do his work. And then he says, hey, hey, boy, here's this hot baton. And I'm just going to do like my grandma would say, run on to see what the end's going to be. Absolutely. So we welcome all of you here to the culture call. Listen, I need you to do me a favor. Open up your smartphone or your smart device, whether it's an Apple or an Android, and go to your app store. And there you will find a particular app. If you type in Praise 93.3 FM, you will find our free 99 app. That's right. Uh huh. Go ahead and download that on your phone. It's not going to cost you one single solitary dime to uh, download Praise 93.3 FM. And you can listen to us all around the country, dare I say, all around the world. That's right. This is how we connect Tuscaloosa with the entire world. That's right. And 
and the United States. So whether you're living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, yeah, Washington, D.C., Miami, Florida, Tallahassee, Florida, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Los Angeles, California, all right here in the beautiful city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, Birmingham, Montgomery, Mobile, Huntsville, Reform, Gordo, Utah, Bologi, wherever you might find yourself. That's right. That app will help you tune in and listen and weigh in on the conversation. Absolutely. Listen, uh, as we come to the end of Black History Month, we know that this uh, this coming month, March, is, yeah, Easter month, Resurrection month, and we know there's going to be a plethora of things that are happening. Listen, let me be your PR specialist. Let me announce your public uh, service announcements of your church and your organization right here on the Culture Call. Well... L, how do we do that? I'm glad that you asked. Listen, just email uh, email me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And give me an opportunity to let Lottie Dottie and everybody know what's happening at in your organization. That, Like I said, at your church, whether you are an, uh, an artist getting ready to have a concert, a preacher getting ready to have a revival, your fraternity, your sorority, whatever you are a part of. We want to be able to announce what you're doing so we can put some faces in the place and fill up the space. That's right. That's exactly what we want to do. We want you to know that what you're doing in our community is important. You know why? Because we do it better when we do it together. As, as always, we are digitally uh, capable and on social media so that you can follow us on what? The Culture Call Facebook page. Go ahead. And uh, open up your Facebook. That's right. You know you have one, right? And go ahead and like the Culture Call button. Uh, that's right. Well, first you got to search us out, the Culture Call, and like that. Yeah. And you can uh, stay in tune with what we're talking about every day there. Or you can send me a message there. Send me your announcements there during the uh, with the message uh, apparatus. You can send it there. And we will definitely uh, say it on the air. Maybe you've missed past broadcasts. Guess what? You can go to Apple Podcasts and type in Culture Call, not the Culture Call, just Culture Call. And there you're going to see my mug. You're going to see my face. And you can listen to all of our past shows. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's a library of content there that will be a blessing to you, you, and most certainly you. That's right. You might want to tell somebody y'all want to get in and listen to the Culture Call and hear what we've been talking about, right? Good deal. Listen, as always, you can save this number, 205-752-4800. That's 205-752-4800. And you can call in. That's right. You can call in and blaze it up with us and talk to us. Or you can hit us on the chat apparatus. That's right. You can hit us there on the chat apparatus, and we can talk to you. Uh, I look at it uh, during the breaks and making sure. Uh, that we are uh, staying in touch and I'm looking and seeing what you want to say. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, it's always a blessing. So, hey, do me a favor. Go ahead and sit back and relax. Grab you some coffee. You know how we do it, Maxwell House or Starbucks. Maybe you don't like coffee. Maybe it's a little bit too strong for you. Go ahead and get you some herbal tea. Uh, maybe have some chamomile if you're trying to calm down, get your nerves settled. Or you can get you a little green tea if you need a little caffeine kick, a little energy. That's right. Wake those, wake that body up, wake that mind up. And definitely, as always, you can get some 
alkaline water. That's the water in the black label usually. Normally it's black and red. I love Essentia. Yeah, uh, but they have smart water, all those kinds of things. Go ahead and hydrate. Nothing wrong with hydrating and detoxifying your body from that Sunday dinner, you know, or from those weekly dinners that you've been eating, all that stuff. Or you know what you've been eating, chitlins and hog mowers and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, get it out. Get it out. And let's get into the culture. Listen, I'm telling you, I want you to keep aware, even as we wind down from Black History Month, I really want you to stay aware of what is happening right now. I haven't done a whole lot of history this month, uh, uh, particularly and specifically because I want us not so much to be engaged with uh, those historical figures of the past, even though they we are, you know, um, black history is American history. I want us to be engaged and focus in on how we today can make history for those who are coming tomorrow, right? And so, yes, we can talk about Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. We can talk about Ralph Abernathy. We can talk about W.E.B. Du Bois. And we can talk about Booker T. Washington. We can talk about Dinah Washington. Yeah, whoever. We can talk about all of those major historical figures, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, all those people. Uh, and they can inspire us. But I want to challenge us and, and inspire us for what we need to do today, that some of you who are listening to me today will be indeed history makers and history shapers for the future generations, right? And there is so much going on in our country, in our communities that we need to be aware, right? We need to know exactly what is our place in creating history, right? How do we create history? Every day that we live and breathe, we have the opportunity to create some level of history. If we move beyond our fear, if we move beyond our own self-sabotage, uh, saying that we can't do this and I'm not better than this one, if we stop comparing ourselves among ourselves, which the text says it's not wise, if we go ahead and fulfill the purpose and the agency and utilize the agency that God has given us, we too can be history makers, right? Absolutely. So I, I always try to bring up the current event. And y'all know that we are in a political season, you know, that uh, on the Democrat side, uh, there is uh, Joseph Biden. And on the Republican side, it, side, it looks like it's going to be, again, uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, and so, you know, all of those particularities that come under that. What One of the things that I do not want us to be is ignorant what is uh, about what's going on. I don't need us to be so disconnected and detached uh, in our religious world, in our church world that we know, you know, we know what color, you know, uh, we're going to wear for next Sunday. But we don't even know what's happening down in Alabama, in Montgomery, that's really causing a stir. And I mean, nationwide, Alabama has been causing a stir. And I need us as chocolate people, black folks, I need us to pay attention to what is going on and how it directly and or indirectly affects us, right? And every day something happens at such a rapid pace. And um, when you blink your eyes, you're like, no, they didn't just do that. No, they didn't just do that, X, Y, Z. And you'll be like, by the time we find, find out, it's already passed. Some of these bills and laws are already etched in stone, and we've not even had a voice. And that's simply because we've not necessarily paid attention to what's going on. And again, 
one of the things that I encourage people to do, especially, especially my church folks, I encourage you to keep your head on a swivel and know, yes, prayer changes things and and Jesus is going to fix it by and by. But guess what? He's going to repair it through us. Prayer is going to fix it through the actions and the wisdom and the insight and the knowledge uh, that God downloads into our spirits and we work it out through our own physical being. In other words, uh, there's no need to pray for Peter if we're not going to believe that he's going to get out. You know, and that's the text, right? That prayer must be enjoined with action. James tells us uh, that faith without works is dead being alone. And so I want us to always see what is going on. And I know, I know that, you know, again, sometimes we think things are not going to affect us. But trust me, trust me, if it, if it gets bad in America, it's going to be worse for black folks. Let me say it again. Uh, if it gets bad in America, any any worse than it is right now, uh, it gets it it gets worse for, for 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 folks that look like you and I. Period. I mean, that's just the bottom line, and that's just and that's how it has been always been designed, right? That's how it's always been designed, and so I need us to make sure uh, that we keep our head again aware and keep clarity going on. Watch to see, right? So that when you get down on your knees. You can be specific when you get, you know, when you're beginning to pray. Yeah, you can be specific, but not only when you begin to pray, but when you begin to act by faith and you do your part in being what a good citizen. Yeah, a good citizen, an active citizen. There's a lot going on. Yes, in politics. It's a lot going on. Yes, in education. There's a lot going on in entertainment. Uh, there's a lot going on and we cannot uh, have an escapist mentality. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. Listen, my mother, grandmother, great-grandmothers or great-grandparents had that same notion. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And I get that. That's a particular eschatology that we, you know, a particular view of the last things, eschatology, that, you know, that's what that is. That we, we, Yeah, that's been the view. But here's what we do miss. Number one, he says, no man knows the day nor the hour, right? All we can do is be ready. So, yeah, you, you're not going to escape the time in which you you live. If he delays his coming, you got to live your time out. Amen. Good deal. All right. Here's the next piece of this puzzle, that the bride got to get ready. The church got to get ready. And so you already know that if you look at the church and be honest, yeah, we see why he's delaying his coming because we got a lot a lot to work on. There's a lot to work on in the church as well, right? And finally, though that that you've got a mark to make in the world. And you've not made that mark yet. And so the grace and mercies of God will hold up time until you fulfill the purpose for which you were here. You're not just supposed to be breath and britches uh, in a dress. No, you are supposed to make a mark on this world. And guess what? Uh, it's that time. It's overtime. Some of you are late and use the culture call as a wake up call every day to stir you to do what you are supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Having said that, to this, uh, I want to look at something, uh, that I think is very pivotal, pivotal. And I, I want to wax just a little bit prophetic, futuristic. Uh, and not even just futuristic and um, prophetic, but I also want to begin to bring some context 
on what is happening in our, happening in throughout the generations now and begin to formulate uh, an articulation. I want to look at a particular generation that really, really has the world uh, um, at its hand right now. You know how the Bible says, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That that means it's now, it's current, it's contextual. It's, you can put your hand on it. In other words, it's time to get involved. And there is no other generation like the millennial generation. So I want to talk about the millennials because I believe that in our generation, the millennials are the bridge to the future. The millennials are the bridge to the future. And I want to give some context to what the millennials are, because I hear a lot of times in church, especially in church, that preachers are talking to millennials and call out millennials when they're really not even, they don't understand generations. Millennials are not the youth church. Millennials are not college students. Millennials are not children's church, right? No. I mean, you might as well say college youth and (laughs) youth and children. You might as well do that. But millennials are adults now, right? And they are a pivotal generation. And I'm gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. And I want y'all to call in, especially if you are a millennial, because I want to hear your perspective on that and on what are we gonna be talking about today. Um, millennials they were born uh, between 1981 and 1996. That's what sociologists say that the millennial generation is 1981 which would make that generation, what, uh, 43 this year? Yeah, they will be 43 this year. And 1996, which means that they are, what, 28 this year. So between ages of 26 to 48, uh, uh, 28, yeah, 28 through, what is this? Yeah, uh, yeah, 43, yeah, 28 through 43, those are the millennials. So already... Already, if your mind talking about these young folks, these young folks, that that's not about how young they are. That's about maybe how, about how old you are, <laughs> right? If you're still looking at the millennials as if they're your youth church, they're not. But they are a pivotal generation. And they are a generation that has been shaped by, shaped by, given agency by Generation X, which is my generation, right? Which is 1965 uh, through 1980. So if you're 1965 through 1980, you are Gen X. Welcome to the family, right? Right. I am, I am, I will be 53 this year. So I am Generation X, right? And then you have the baby boomers who were uh, born between 1946 and 1964, right? So those are your boomers, right? And there seems to be right now, and that's important because let me give you that age. Let me do my math right. So that's about mm, 70, 78. So that's 78 through uh, 58. Yeah, 70, 78 through 50. No, through, oh no, through 60. Yeah, so 78 through 60. That would be the the boomers, right? And I, I wanted to bring out at least those three generations. We can talk about generation uh x i mean x y z or whatever y z and alpha we can do all of that but the what's going on in the current context of the world right now culture call is is a battle between uh the boomers and the millennials that's where the battle is right now and it was started again by generation x my generation 
begin to begin to question a lot of the traditionalism and institutions and 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 that were happening and shaping our culture and begin to saying well how truthful is this how how uh foundational how absolute is this i remember that in from my generation uh even at in high school and definitely in college we begin was the were the first generations to begin to ask why why this and why that and not 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 just why from a political section of a political sector but why from we begin to question the church begin to question grandmama great grandmama mamas we began to question everything that was set before us and we started it but and we still but here's the deal we still had enough respect and i want to use that word tongue in cheek there we still honored our uh, that that uh tradition so much that we only questioned it to a certain point right uh i don't think generation x finished the work of questioning and inquisition and deconstruction although we gave way uh or gave power to that for the next generation i think that we did not push uh a forward ahead so a part of generation x was challenging but watch this also maintaining the traditional norms right so again so we did challenge and say well why do we do this and why is this and why do we have to do this and all these different kinds of things make this make sense right and then the boomer generation would snap at us and then we would come back and in place and then some of us uh even to our own detriment would defend would defend the same things that we should be questioning or should have been questioning right well when we we had children generation x had children and they are called the millennials and the millennials came here like wait a minute we not hold it Mm-mm. no they be they begin to question race politics religion sexuality they begin to uh to to up in all of the social norms and the cultural norms that were traditional right they begin to push us closer to contemporary contemporary thought right uh thoughts that reflected an inclusivity of everyone in the culture right that they were the first generation that simply did not on an overwhelming context when i say it like that they were the first generation that did not mark people by their sins or by their proclivities right uh that they were the ones that that stride for the full humanity the full anthropo- anthropological existence of every person no matter how they showed up right that the lines of sin transgressions for them for that generation was very investigated because what are you calling a sin how were you able to call it a sin or what they were the first ones to really look into the bible and and I'm talking about when I say first ones not first in a, not first ever to do it but first in in terms of a great swath of them that looked at the biblical text and say well wait a minute uh when we study this when we study this language and when we go back to the original greek and we go back to this and you know they begin to do a deductive study of what the bible really really said of what politics really meant of what racism and classism and caste systems right they begin to look at okay the wage uh the wages that were being made they begin to look at capitalism as perhaps even the enemy of the state the enemy of the growth 
of America. They begin to look at from a very uh, strong and very intentional way to not just, it was not do as I say kind of generation. No, they are challenging. Uh, they were and still are challenging uh, some of the, again, cultural, traditional norms of that that were, was going on in the country. And now, again, what the uh, sociologist says, the youngest of them are 28 years old, right? That's the youngest of them, right? The, the youngest of the generation, uh, the millennials are 28 years old. And so they have been uh, challenging the norms. And first of all, before we get upset, some of that stuff, some of that challenge was necessary. Some of that challenge was just the completion of what Generation X started. And here's the problem. Y'all ready? Drum roll. Generation, the millennials and the boomers having issues. Grandchildren and grandparents are in it now. They have a different, I mean, their perspectives are polar. Are polar. Right. There were words that we used to be able to say that are no longer PC, politically correct. And grandparents like, I don't care about the politically correct. The boomers are like, no, I don't care. Here's what this is. And and millennials are saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't use that term because that term disrespects and disregards that person or that thing's dignity. And so we've been having this back and forth. I'm telling you, a while. What you're seeing even in every area, especially in politics, you're seeing the millennials say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Does does anybody not see that this corruption that's going on? And, and, and does anybody not see that, you know, this this would never have been if this was going on? So they're calling a thing a thing. And boomers are like, Hey, just participate. Just go along to get along sometimes. Yes, challenge, but, you know, be quiet about it. Oh, no. And the millennials are like, absolutely not. We came here to make our mark on the world. We came here to tell you that Reaganomics was wrong. We came here to tell you that mass incarceration set in by Clinton was wrong. We came to tell you that the deaths of Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland. Yeah, we're wrong. We're wrong. We came to tell you that there is agency even and worth even for people who you think are the criminals. We came to tell you that there needs to be an end for the death penalty. Why? Because it always ups, it, it, it could be that the person that they in this country, the person that they put in jail on death row could be innocent. And you could be Killing, committing a murder on an innocent man because the justice system has been so flawed, racially flawed, socioeconomically flawed, right? All of those things politically flawed. And so what we're telling you that is, hey, wait a minute, uh, rethink, rethink, rethink. This is what the millennials are screaming. Let's maybe we need to take a collective repent. Yeah, we need to take a collective repent and start reevaluating how we are doing things in this country. Yes, they are, watch this, they are destined to be the bridges toward a future that currently right now is unknown. And I'm going to talk about this morning some of the good 
and the positive and some of the bad and the negative about some of the things that are going on that are being shaped, yes, by the millennial generation. And watch this. We are, we in some context are forcing them to take a lot of extreme measures because we've not necessarily adequately provided millennials at the table to to have a conversation with those who have made decision and made law and set traditions at hand. We've not given them an ample voice. And so they are bringing their own microphone. I remember, um, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple, uh, maybe about four or five years ago, I did an event called Pass the Mic, Pass the M-I-C, Millennials in Context. And I was trying to have a conversation when I had a conversation, not trying. I had a conversation with millennials to hear what they thought about relationships, to hear what they thought about church and religion, to hear what they thought about sex and sexuality, to hear what they were thinking about, uh, you know, just the world at large. And, and I wanted to provide that because at that time, maybe around the, uh, the, uh, before 2020, I wanted to, wanted to give everybody an understanding that the world is changing and we're not always going to be in charge. We're, it's not going to always be our time. And if we're not listening to the voice of the next now, then what's going to happen is this, what, 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 uh, Martin Luther King says that a revolt or a rebellion or a riot is the voice of the unheard. A riot, a revolution, it comes from the voices of the unheard. And so much of what we're seeing today is a generation that is saying that we will be heard or we will stop everything in its tracks in every sector, economically, religiously, Politically, we will stop everything until we are heard. And I think that's an important conversation for us to have, especially as we wind down the end of Black History Month. So, hey, buckle up. Buckle up, y'all. We're getting ready to have a great day. This is the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on your favorite station, Praise 93.3 FM. Keep it right here. There's more to come. So much more to come. Don't miss it. Right here on the Coach Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And this morning, we are having a powerful, provocative, yeah, conversation about the millennial generation. <laughs> yeah, they are not your youth church anymore. They are not children's church. So, yeah, I think you need to stop calling them that. Yeah, you millennials, you millennials know you're talking to the wrong generation. Pick up a book, pastor. Pick up a book, teacher. They're, the millennials are grown folks now. They are adults and they are pivotal in shaping the world. They are pivotal in shaping the context of who, uh, what our communities will become. That's right. They're the parents now. They're becoming the parents now. Generation X is waiting to be the grandparents and gener, uh, the boomer generation, you're waiting to be grandparents. If the Lord still has you here, that's a blessing. And so, hey, you, you've got to begin to understand that there's a value, a value uh, to to what the millennials bring to the entire world. And that needs to be reflected in our conversations about culture, community, about church uh, uh, that shapes religion and Christianity. I think they have to have a voice there. Uh, definitely, 
definitely have to have a voice there and not just take it because we said it. Take it because we said it. No, take it and understand it because we're providing you with an understanding of it. Right. Right. That, you know, when I was coming up and they would preach and I would go to church or whatever, they would say, just do it because I said it, not because of any kind of a particular understanding. Now, I was fortunate because I had grandparents and parents that would take time to explain certain things to me and that would entertain my questions. But at large, when I went to other places, that generation was like, listen, this is what we do. Well, why do we do it? Hush up asking me anything. Just do it. Just, okay, all right, okay, we're going to get back, I'm going to get baptized, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Yeah, why, though? Why? And the prevailing question, we started pushing back, but then we were like, you know what, we got some, somewhere we got tired and distracted and got jobs and families, and then we had these, these amazing children called the millennial generation, and now these babies, our babies are grown now, and they are not being quiet, <laughs> not at all. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that because even in my age, I've learned so much. My children are at that age now. Uh, well, my two oldest are, my three oldest are in that millennial age. My youngest is the top of the next generation, but he might as well have been a millennial because he has an old thinking mind, <laughs> right? Nonetheless... Nonetheless, I think it is very important for us to begin to give them prime access to the table. Here's the deal. Because, quite frankly, the table belongs to uh, to them, to Generation X, uh, the, latter, the latter part of the Generation X, uh, and, and the millennials, right? And what is going on is that the baby boomers don't want to give up any seats, at the table. Look at look at Congress. Right now we're fussing about how and, and Joe uh Joe Biden and uh Donald Trump are the silent generation. Right? But but look at that. They're they're presidents. They're running for presidents. And there there has to be a conversation about that because at what point at what point do we give way to younger voices? If, if at any point, you know, you may be of the thing, well, you, you serve, you serve until you finish, you serve until you die. Uh, you know, I have a counter narrative to that. I do. I really do. Um, I, my thing is, if you're retiring, if you're at retirement age and you retire, then our job at the, is at the gate now. The text, the Bible says that when you turn 50, that you are supposed to be sitting at the gate providing wisdom and direction. Right. For those who are going out and those who are coming in. Right. That at a certain point you retire from the priesthood and you become wise men. You just become the wisdom in the community. Right. But there still seems to be a power struggle between ages and stages and pages. And and, and, and the, the whole issue is that I'm in, are we, are we afraid that we're going to be left out of the equation? Those of us who are older, are we afraid that our notions, the world is going to change that we don't recognize it? But think about it. Think about it. There are so many people who's, who are in this world and the world has changed. And what they had to do was get with it. You know, one of the things that, you know, my, before my mother passed away, she was avid about this thing about understanding social media, understanding the digital divide. 
And she was from the silent generation. She's like, listen, if I'm going to live here, I'll have to learn how to keep up. I got to learn. How. So she had a Facebook page and she, you know, uh, this page, an uh, Instagram page. She was texting and all that kind of stuff. Because, again, she's like, well, I, she's like, but this was in my generation. But since I'm alive and I'm in a new generation, I've got to learn some of the new things that the generations uh, uh, do, right? And, and and I can't run away from it, else else I'm going to be disconnected from my great my grandchildren. I'm going to be disconnected from my children who all have this device. And so I know that this is not the rotary form, phone generation. I know that we don't pick up the phone, hit the little thing three times, and, and the operator comes on and we say, can you connect us? I know I used to live in that context. But that's not the context of the generation and the culture anymore, right? And quite frankly, quite frankly, she had a notion there, you know? Her thing was like, and challenging. She used to challenge senior people. Hey, y'all got to get with it. Get with it. That was her thing. Get with it. You know, if you want to be able to find your children, yeah, they may not call. But if you get on this social media and you follow them, you'll be able to tell what they're doing. You'll be able to see what's going on with your grandchildren, those who let you in <laughs> on their page. If they don't block you, if you don't get on there and say, I'm your grandmama and watch, watch, no, no, watch what you're doing. Watch what, no, 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 no. You got to be skilled now to deal with this generation. <laughs> you can't treat them like their children because they are not. They are shaping every, reshaping every institution that they come in contact with. They're reshaping the church. Yeah, I know. They, I know y'all don't like it, but they're of, they're at deacon age. They're at preacher and pastor age. They're at missionary age. They're, they're that age now. <laughs> they are, right? Uh, they, they are the, the, the end part of the young adult choir. Yeah, they, they should be given space on the trustee board. Ooh, some of y'all. They need to be given keys to the church. You know, and and respectfully given those keys because the world is moving so fast. The question is, if you are a boomer, can you really keep up with the speed of how things are moving? Right. When they need to get into church, when they get, need to have access to this and X, Y, Z, you know, you, you, you can't be moving slow because these, 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 these ones, these millennials they're ready to get it done. They're ready to get it moving. They're ready to get it. And they're not going to wait on you to get out of bed and, and crack your muscles and take your 10 pills. And No. No, what, the, what does that mean? Then we need to trust them and give them access so that they can begin to move what we started forward. That we ought not be obstacles and opposition to forward movement. Now, now, Bishop, I, I agree with you, but now this generation kind of this generation kind of crazy. Want me to tell you why? I'm going to tell you why it appears that the millennial generation and the generations after that look kind of crazy. Because when they were asking questions, when they were asking questions of every area in our that makes up our culture and society, politics, religion, education, business, you know, what workplace economics when they were asking questions we told them to be quiet we didn't give them a space to hear their questions or we made we made their questions feel like rebellion we made their questions feel like uh 
well, you trying to take over, you trying to move me away. And that's not, no, they were just questioning. And here's the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that a lot, a lot did not have answers. Did not. I found it to be so in my generation. They didn't have answers. And when they don't have answers, here it is, when, uh, when certain generations and ages don't have answers, they get cantankerous. Then they want you to, they want to silence you. They want you to shut up. And see, what's going on even in our political sector, they are highly intimidated by the millennials and by the generation that is coming up after. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) They are intimidated by the millennials and Generation Z. They're upset. They are like, tell be quiet. And you can see it. You can see it. Why would you be 75 years old, 80 years old, and trying to vote against in vitro fertilization, IVF. Why would you even, at that age, at that age, right? Because the biology has changed so much. The food has changed so much. The atmosphere, the conditions have changed so much that having babies naturally seem to be very difficult in this generation. You could just pop them out in your generation. You were having, you know, generations before you were having 14, 15, 16 kids. But this is not an agrarian culture anymore. Anybody trying to farm no field no more? These, that's not what, that's not what this generation is doing. Especially how the country is trying to de- uh, devalue, devalue farmers, right? How they're doing that. So why would I want to work in agriculture when it's, it's set up to be something different? When I can't make any money, when I can't take care of a family, how it used to be back in the day when I was growing up, my grandparents were farmers. Yeah, on my father's side, soybean field, corn field, you know, had their own garden. Yeah, that that's not happening prevalently in this country anymore and definitely not in the black community. Because when we have black farmers, you know, they try to rob pillage. There's lawsuits right now, right now that are going on with black farmers trying to get the money that they're supposed to have. So this new generation is like, no, but no, we didn't get, they weren't given a seat at the table. I was given a seat at the table early, but I had to act old and it robbed some of my youth from me because in order to get respected by the boomer generation at the time and the silent generation at the time, I was in my early twenties, but I had to act like I was 40. Until I just said, I'm not doing that anymore. No, time is filled with swift transition. So while I'm in my 20s, I'm going to enjoy my 20s. And if that means that I don't get access to certain things to reshape it, yeah, if I don't do that, then guess what? They're going to miss out on the value of what God has put inside of me, right? And that was my resolve to to retreat and just live out, you know, until it was, you know, until I found access. Millennials are not retreating at all. They're calling us out. No, we came to get our space at the table because obviously what y'all have been doing has not worked. We can't find jobs because you all now are older and shaping an economy that we can't even provide a living wage. We can't even get married. We can't have children. We can't buy homes. You know, those things that you've been preaching to us, that's the American dream, where you've locked us out, right? You've locked us out. Now you don't want us to have families. Now you don't want to, you want us to sit in a corner and shut up until you die. 
And the millennials are like, we're not going for that. Absolutely not. And so they're forming organizations and uh, and reformations in, in every community, black, white, Hispanic. And they're saying, hey, we came to get our agency. We came to take our space at the table or or there will be no table. They will, there will be no table. Fannie Lou Hamer prophesied that while she was, and that was early in the 50s, 60s. She prophesied that. She says, listen, if you don't give them a piece, they're going to burn it all down. If you don't give them a piece of what rightfully is inherited, is their inheritance, they're going to burn it all down. Right? Now, are you advocating, Bishop, that if we older or old, we should resign? That's not what I'm saying. We need to follow the Elijah, Elisha context as it relates to the generations. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But here is the context of that. That means that while we are yet living, while we are yet, but we're, we're older, we walk with our successors. We walk with that next generation to give them voice, to give them in part wisdom, but also we, we, we give them wisdom. They give us what? Innovation. Maybe we do need to rethink Maybe we do need to tear this down because it doesn't work anymore. Maybe we do need together to build something new, right? But as long as there is opposition between the grandparents and the grandchildren, and even somewhat the parents and the children and the grandchildren, yeah, then that's going to be an issue. It's always going to be an issue. It's always going to be an issue of voice and value. It's always going to be an issue of understanding that, listen, it's amazing that we don't want to give space to this millennial. But if Jesus were alive today, he would be a millennial. Let's try it again. You do know his life on on the earth ended or ceased in his earthly body when he was 33 years old. So if he were alive today, he would be in his context, you know, 33 years old and this culture would say, be quiet. What are you doing? No. The same thing they did to him then. Right? Or you like, oh, I love Jesus. Yeah, okay, but if he was here, you, but why? Because Jesus, in his generation, upended the tradition. Upended tradition in every society. Gave agency to women. Yes, because it was a patriarchal culture. Gave agency to to uh, ethnicities, all ethnicities. The Syrophoenician woman, he gave he gave uh, 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 you know said, hey, reformatted how we think from a theological and religious context. He said Moses said this, but I say I'm coming with a different kind of situation. I'm not coming to destroy the law, but I'm coming to fulfill it. He was in his millennial context when he said it. So I don't think millennials are coming so much to destroy. They're coming to cause us to think and rethink so that we, it can be applicable and relevant for future generations. And if we don't understand that, we're not only are we going to miss impacting a generation with wisdom that our lives have had, yes, but look, there's now a generation that's trying to reinstitute pre-civil rights situations. Right? What are you doing? Why are you trying to wind the clock backwards? Why are you trying to make America great again? The suggestion is, in your mind, that it's somewhere it stopped being great. And it only stopped being great when it started including people that did not look like you and did not believe like how you believed. 
And that is why. And there's a great swath, especially in the South. They're still fighting the Confederate War. They're, they're still flying that flag. And what millennials are saying, if we don't rethink some things, because they're not just fighting for themselves, they're fighting for their children as well. If we don't begin to rethink some things, then we're going to have a world locked into a time period, into an antebellum time period that only that only satisfies those who are closest to their life stages being over. And we would have made no headway for the future that is coming. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but we got to start thinking, give everybody, every age, a seat at the table, especially those millennials. We need them to help us bridge to the future. Listen, this is yours truly, uh, L. Spencer Smith, right here on the Culture Call. That's right, Praise 93.3 FM, 205-752-4800. If you want to give me a call, hit me up on the app. Let's talk a little bit. Let me know what you're thinking. And keep it right here. Don't miss it. Top of the hour, right here on the Culture Call with your Shirley Elspeth Smith, 11 a.m. and some change. That's right, Praise 93.3 FM, and we are having a great and amazing day. Yeah. As we wind down Black History Month, I want to send a shout out to all of our history makers that are doing great things in Tuscaloosa and all around the country. Keep doing what you're doing. Listen, your labor is not in vain. I'm telling you, somebody you're inspiring someone you are giving encouragement uh inspiration to someone who is looking at you and sometimes we don't even know who's looking at us right sometimes uh that that what we're doing is so is so under the radar but guess what god's got somebody looking at you and you're encouraging them every day and inspiring them to get up and do something to change the world so yeah all of our history makers that are listening and that should be everybody that's listening listen if you're joining us in our second hour welcome to the cc family the culture call that's right we've been having a wonderful conversation about millennials that's right the bridge to the future i think that if we don't refocus and readjust and make certain uh that we give space to the table uh for uh for that generation of that pivotal generation and i feel that strongly in all of my being that the millennial generation is the pivotal generation and if we get it wrong with them if we do not hear them if we do not provide them space at the table we're going to be missing tremendous future context clues that will that will literally make us stronger and when we don't listen it will cause us to be weaker than we've ever been before that's right and so one of the words that you keep here in this new generation is the word succession. And that doesn't mean that one fades away and one retire or one retires or stops and just give it to somebody young just because they're younger. No, succession is you have to look at it as if you're in a, a relay race that you hand the baton to someone. You run your race so, you know, you do your best, uh, you know, to get ahead of the competition and you know that someone else and you know that someone else, let me say that again, and you know that someone else is waiting on you, waiting on you to slap that baton in their hand. And for a moment, and for a moment, yeah, you run together. That's what succession is. You run together until they are secure, until that baton is secure in their hands. 
until they get their stride, until they get their focus, not to hold them up. You're not trying to snatch the baton back from them because you ain't tired of running yet. No, your time to run in this particular lane has come to an end, but you got to make sure that the person who has the baton is secured in their running. So watch, watch this. You just can't stop. You got to run with them. That is how proper succession is done. That's how we need to view the millennials. That's how we need to teach and train them. Because guess what? There's a generation that's coming up behind them, and we've got to stop making generational mistakes. One of the great issues that are happening right now politically is that, you know, even though uh, Joe Biden has done an amazing job, I think, of turning the economy around all of those different kinds of things, you know, doing a whole, whole, whole lot of things we could criticize extensively criticize and we will criticize extensively right one of the things i think he did uh not to necessarily to his ultimate detriment but where he probably did not do a great job is you know preparing who will be his successor understanding the context right he ran on being a one-term president turning it around which he did turn the country around even though there are international issues we could talk about, right? That there was no one that was running close enough in, or was ready in front of him that he could slap that baton into in his mind. Not saying that Kamala couldn't do it, right? And all things because of the times in which we live, you know, Kamala brings a certain, she is a black woman, a black woman. And if they weren't ready for a white woman in Hillary Clinton, he understood, I believe, in some sector that he knew that a black woman would face tremendous, tremendous uphill battle against a, you know, a Trump, you know, right? And I really believe that the only reason why Trump is running is because of, of Biden beating him. He knows it happened. Uh, forget all this election was stolen. That's a lie. He knows it was a lie. And that's why he's trying to delay the cases and delay the, uh, the legal cases in Georgia and D.C. and all these other places. He's trying to delay the cases because he knows that the, that his following, when they find out the, the truth behind the scenes, they're going to see that they have been lied to. So he's trying to do everything to delay those cases coming to pass. That, that's all that is, right? But there is something to be said about this whole idea of succession. And giving millennials a seat at the table, giving the next generation a seat at the table, right? That they we need that younger voice with that younger context that, yes, does challenge our traditional context of of how we run things, how we run education, how we run politics, how we, yes. And the reason why we have to run with them, because some of their notions, some of their notions, I'm not saying all the millennial notions are correct, because they're not. They still need shaping. They need still, they still need contextuality. They still need proper defining and, and trajectory and direction. They still need that. And that can only come with from the generations before them, X and Boomer, right? So they're not our competition. But they must need be at the table as we're having these conversation because, conversations because millennials see things in a different trajectory, in a different light, in a different way, right? As a pastor, I love talking to young preachers because I love their energy. I love their insight. I love their, uh, their ability to have growth mechanism, mechanisms. You know, when I started pastoring, we didn't have a lot 
to talk about church growth, people came to church. That's what they did, right? Church doors were open. Folks came to church. And then I've lived long enough to see, you know, where people now have, you know, you we preach people into options. We preach generations into options in our communities, right? And a lot of our, our next generation people are like, well, now, now you got to provide something for me to come to church. Else, I'm going to brunch and I'm going to have a mimosa and some French toast and I'm going to catch church online. I'm not going to be bogged down with all of that slow song singing. That, 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 that's just the facts. And so I love to talk to young, talk to young leaders, you know, because as the church, my job is to make sure that as I perform the funeral, I pay attention to the future. Because the older I get, I'm going to be performing more funerals. But here's the truth of the matter, that I love performing christenings and weddings and and seeing uh, the young students come through, right? And so my job, I stand, again, as a Generation X pastor, I stand trying to connect the two, and I have to listen. What do you think from this? i got to talk to millennials. Talk to the next generation, Talk to 18 to 36. I've got to talk to them and ask them, okay, what do you see? What do you see the church as? Has it, you know, in my sector? And because I'm just not relegated, I try to be well-rounded. I do that in politics. I do that in education. I do that in medicine. You know, I find out what the what the new innovations are, right? I, that's exactly what I attempt to do. And I'm I'm challenging everybody to do that, that as you get older, you need to. One of the things I loved about my parents is that they got with my children and listened to my children, hear their perspective, but also offered the wisdom of their experiences, of their culture. It wasn't a competition. It wasn't a competition, right? Um, that, that, yes, we have held it down. Right. And made sure that it kept moving. But there's a generation that's ahead of us that we need to slap that baton in their hand and run with them a while as long as we can to make sure we impart wisdom. We hear the innovation. We fine tune. We give them a complete perspective. We make sure that they don't, you know, destroy the tree or the vine simply because that you know, because you know they they don't don't see the need for trees. No, you need to understand what this tree means. You need to understand what this altar means. Here is why we do this. Here is you got to bring some level of contextuality to it. And if we don't do that, guess what? They're gonna start their own race and don't even consider us. Consider our values. Consider our thoughts. Consider your ways and nothing that. And guess what? You when we move on, it won't look anything anything or as we get older it won't look like anything that that reveres honors or recognizes us absolutely not no you know i i still sing all of the contemporary uh music in our church as a matter of fact the group our group testament was part and parcel of shaping contemporary urban gospel to what to what you're hearing about today i mean that that's who we were right but i'm getting a younger church and youth, we're introducing hymns. We're reintroducing hymns to them. So every first Sunday, we're going to send a, sing a hymn. We're going to do that. Absolutely. So that they will know the value of what, you know, was so very precious to us. No, if you don't give them a space at the table, they will, uh, they will eradicate everything you were about when you get old or when you get off the, when you uh, uh, are deceased, when you get off the scene. 
they will find no level of value and honor and reverence for what you did because you never, you tried to ram it down their throat, right? And so millennials are reshaping various institutions in society, right? They're, they're, they're reshaping workplace culture. That there are a lot of them that can't find decent jobs. Oh, get out and go to work. Go to work. No, they can't. Listen, they can't. And businesses don't want to hire them, right, for whatever reason, right? Uh, and, and they're also, guess what, letting older folks go because they can't continue to pay. So millennials are influencing workplace dynamics by prioritizing flexibility, work-life balance, and a sense of purpose in their careers. They ain't just going to work to collect a check. They're going to work because they have a sense of purpose there. I This is where I need to be. This is where I'm going to be, blah, blah, blah. They're all of that. All of that. And flexibility. I'm not going to be working all this time and I have no time to, to have to spend with my family. That That's not worth it to have a successful career and not have a wife and children or a husband and children that respect me. We can't even go on vacation. Right? That if I get sick, you're only giving me two days out of a year, three days out of a year. I heard that this week. I was like, that's ridiculous. How You mean to tell me you only have three sick days in a year? That yeah, and millennials like no, absolutely not. We're not getting ready to do that. I'm no. So they're not lazy. Watch this. They're not lazy. The marketplace is making work not make sense. Let me say that again. They're not lazy. They're fighting against a system that has that doesn't make sense. Three sick days, right? And they want them to work around the clock and be available around the clock and all of that. for you. And you're going to try to figure out the least amount you can pay me? No. Absolutely not. They're not doing it. They're, that, so, so, you know, where we're saying, well, they're not satisfied. But no, you could make a living when you started working. We could make livings when we started working. When I started working, that I, I, I got... At least a what? Twenty. I started working. My pay was twenty-seven thousand dollars a year. I could take care of wife and two kids, apartment and all of that, and we had that two-income house. And we weren't making probably over forty. Maybe we might have been making right at fifty thousand dollars a year. And we took care of that. Listen, even one millennial now with that by themselves, making fifty grand by themselves. Still can't make it because everything has been hit by inflation. Do you know how much apartments cost? When I was in college, I paid for a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, fireplace, open kitchen, living room, all of that. I paid $495. That's what I paid. And I had a roommate, so that was split in half. Right? Absolutely. That's what I paid. Right? When I got married with kids, our first apartment cost $585 a month. Yes, brand new apartments. Yeah, absolutely. Two bedroom, yeah, all of that. I could, yeah, I could afford that. Absolutely. But now, please, these kids having to have one, these folks having one bedroom, one bedroom. They're charging fifteen to two thousand dollars for a nice one bedroom, and let's not talk about. It. And that is in a, a, a okay neighborhood. If they go to a better neighborhood, please, 
and, and it's not because the construction is so good. It's not because there's so many advances there. Don't fool yourself. That's not what it is. It's that, no, this is an, it's the avarice of capitalism. They're, everybody, they're trying to make more money. Yeah. And so that, that millennials are like, no, we can't do that. We, we can't, we can't have families. We can't do this. And you're, and, and we're struggling trying to do that because we'll be bitter trying to raise families and be married. They're having a, 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 a shaping, reshaping education. Millennials are driving changes in education by advocating for innovative teaching skills, digital learning, and focus on practical skills, right? And diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's what they are fighting for now in this generation, millennials, that you're not just going to shut out anybody. We've got to make it where everybody is it's a place to learn. Right. We, we are not we can't just learn like y'all did back in the day. Writing on the chalkboard. No, these kids today that they're dealing with in the classroom, they have cell phones, they have iPhones, Androids. They've got the most of, you know, all of those things. And we're still trying to use, use primarily chalk, chalk <laughs> with a chalk uh, with with a, with an eraser. And a green board. No, most classrooms has whiteboards in them now. What's a whiteboard? See, there you go. Most students have their own own computers now, own laptops now. They're in, especially in a post-COVID society, they have virtual learning now, right? And so, listen, and who's fighting against that are the folks that, well, they need to come in the classroom and they come. Well, guess what? Guess what? There was a whole global pandemic. And we had no plan to deal with that because we're so holding fast to traditional learning. And I get what you're saying, that there needs to be face-to-face contact. Yes. But what is the quality of that face-to-face contact? What contact? What is the context of that contact? And millennials are saying, hey, we got to get digital learning tools. We got to, and it needs to be provided for. Yeah. All these millions and billions of, of millionaires and billionaires, and we cannot, you know, we can send money to Ukraine, but we can't innovate every school in America, right? That we can't innovate teaching the child that might be physically handicapped, but they are mentally astute. Then we have to start thinking about how we're looking at humanity, not just as machines. The millennials have to deal with this AI generation, this transhumanism generation where AI is is swiftly taking jobs away. And what is interesting that it took a human to create AI to take jobs away from humans, which is interesting. That whole dynamic is, 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 is interesting, right? But that's how millennials are bridging us to the future because they're, they're really asking questions and creating solutions. Right. That what millennials are coming up with might be the innovative techniques that cause us to live a little longer, to keep your heart beating a little bit stronger and your blood pressure to go down, to rectify diabetes and and to help you when you're overweight and all these other ailments. And you're so busy trying to hold on to the way things used to be. Nobody has time to grow uh, penicillin in, in a Petri dish. Nobody. No, no. There has to be innovations. And so that's what millennials are bridging us toward. And then they're reformatting healthcare. Millennials are reshaping the healthcare industry by demanding more accessible, affordable, personalized healthcare services that caters to their needs. Right? 
that that we want doctors not just doc in a box. They want personalized care for that doctor to know them, to have relationship with them. Yeah. To, to, to be accessible. So they're coming up with all kinds of, all kinds of innovative methods. And yes, they're not asking for it to be, you know, plastic or, or something that is, uh, not intimate and untouchable. No, that they're using digital means and, and, and contemporary means so that, that, uh, that doctor can increase their touchability. Right? Exactly. Personalized healthcare services. Yeah, that's what they're asking for. They're reshaping the retail. Yes, they are. Millennials are changing the retail landscape with their, their uh, preferences for online shopping, sustainable, sustainability-driven choices, and demand for personalized shopping experiences. They're not going to the mall like we used to go to the mall. The mall for us was a vacation. <laughs> we dressed up to go to the mall. But they're, they're they're utilizing online shopping that I don't even have to use leave my house, or I could be at work shopping. That yes, that I'm I can go grocery shopping while I'm at work, and then when I get off, I can go pick up my groceries from the grocery store. That I don't have to go down aisle to aisle because I've already done it on an app. Right? Again, no matter how you feel about whether it's good or bad. On the merits, I get what I mean. I get understanding, you know, where they lack personal contact. That's that's not how you meet people. That's not how you build relationships. And a lot of that is true. That's why the the older generations, the X's and the boomers, we got to walk with them, run with them as we as we put the baton in their hands and give them wisdom so that we can give them something to consider and think about. Absolutely. Right. That millennials are reshaping political institutions by actively participating in social and political movies, advocating for change, and using social media to amplify their voices. Yeah. Yeah. That that right now, there's only one party that's coming against mail-in voting. Only one. That they don't want voting to advance because they know walking up to the polls, getting up on a early in the money, they don't want uh, all these different, you know, they're putting fear mongering that somebody can take the vote and knowing, uh, and they're the ones that's doing it, right? <laughs> Nonetheless, all of these things and, and millennials are like, no, there's a better way to do this. We can do this electronically. Well, what if somebody getting the electronics? Well, what if somebody misreads the, the paper, Chad? Huh? As in and Bush v. Gore. In Palm Springs, Florida. What if ha- that happens? Right? And so those are the things that they're amplifying their voices. They're doing deep dives in the backgrounds of policy and candidates. Right? How are you going to let somebody who has no political experience come in and just run the world and just do all what they want to do? Right? They're not responsible. Millennials are not responsible for Russian collusion. For, for Russia getting involved in, in in the American election. That's not millennial generation. That was not the millennial generation. The millennial generation have not been indicted on on those particular... That's not their generation. Did not do that. Did not. They just raised the question. But the generation that did it was not theirs. That was the boomer and the X generation that did that. Yeah. So the crookedness that we think is going to come from the millennial generation, we might need to push pause for a minute 
and stop and think about where it really is coming from. Absolutely. They're using social media, not just to meet and greet and not just to post crazy pictures and give your insights in their lives, right? Because some of the wisdom there, and I share it, that you know you don't put everything on social media. You don't you don't make it easy for folk to stop what you're doing because you're overexposed, right? They need that level of wisdom of discretion, how to practice and implement discretion in what they do. They need that. They need the wisdom Old school wisdom and say, hey, you're talking too much. You're telling too much. Don't put all your business and your pain and your emotions on social media. Great device, but you're overexposing who you are. They need that wisdom. But, but, but they also need to be appreciated for the innovations that they have as well. Right? They're, uh, re, re, uh, revising and reshaping the media and entertainment. Millennials are influenced the media entertainment industry by consuming content on digital platforms, driving trends, and supporting diverse, inclusive representation. That's right. You can go get your YouTube page. You can get so many uh, Twitch and all these different kinds of avenues. Everybody doesn't have to rely on ABC, NBC, and CBS anymore. They don't have to do that. They're creating blogs and, and different kinds of things. Now, here it is. We got to walk with them because we got to believe that that information that they utilize is to be verified. Right? That that what you're talking about needs to be not just relevant, but it also needs to be realistic. It also it needs to have some level of not just relevance, but it needs to be truthful. Truthful. Absolutely. But yeah, they're not looking, you know, you, you they're not looking and you know, you call them on the landlines, that's a bad way to take a poll. You call them on the landlines, that generation is not going to answer their phone at home. They're not answering landlines. That's our generation, the, gener- the, the boomer generation, the silent generation. They're, y'all ain't there. Uh-uh. But millennials will be underneath. No, they're not. So that's why you don't trust the polls, because they're calling on the landlines. Right? They're just getting into digital. Now, how I know, because some folks I know didn't have my, I didn't give anything to, they're starting to text me now. And I'm like, stop. I didn't know, right? But but the millennials, they've been using that as their source of communication. They're revamping the housing and real estate markets. The millennials are impacting the housing market by chasing preferences for urban living, sustainability features in homes, and a shift toward renting rather than own home ownership. Yeah, they're not owning homes and pushing that home ownership like we did. Own a home. Own a home. Now, there's some wisdom that they need in that because home ownership does provide equity that you do not get renting. Now, it may be more cost effective to rent, but let's see how we can partner together and show them the wisdom of how you can own a home and use that home to start building wealth, right? Millennials are changing the, the uh, institution of religion, because they're not just sitting up in churches. They're starting their churches online. They're doing different kinds of thought. They're reading different kinds of literature and books. They're doing deep dives in other languages and and, and challenging uh, what we will con- consider biblical norms. Biblical norms, by the way, that were unfounded when they were preaching. They were preaching more hypothetical. They were preaching more from this is what I believe. So there were more eisegetical preaching than exegetical preaching because, uh, because according to modern times, the statistics say uh, only 10% of preaching, preachers, pulpit preaching are preached, uh, are, are, have preachers or pastors who are educated academically and or otherwise. 10%. 
are the only only 10% that got some level of training. And then there's 2% that's really went to seminary and really have done a a deep dive study in what they're preaching. But for the most part, 90% of pulpits in the country are, uh, are led by someone who has not had any level of theological and or prime academic education. And they're trying to interpret Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And give you an understanding and a meaning of what the text means. And millennials are like, mm, yeah, okay. They're sitting up in the audience having studied, having degrees in religious, masters and doctorates in religion. They're doing deep studies. Right? And while we're talking about, you know, do this and this is what the Bible says. They're asking questions like, well, how do you know the Bible says that? How? Because no, it ain't no signature. It ain't on videotape. So how do you know? That's the question they're coming in. And folks are getting mad. Don't you question my God? No, I'm not questioning your God. I'm questioning you. I am questioning how do you know? I know by faith. Okay, well, all right. Okay, yeah. But I looked this word up, and this word does not mean what you said it means. Matter of fact, this word that's in the King James Version that y'all love is not in the original text, in the original Hebrew or the original Greek. Now, that's millennials. Now, what you going to do with that? You can get mad and try to silence them all they want, but they are forcing the churches and the pulpits to become more educated. And I say that's a great thing. I say wisdom partners with them so that we can continue to teach them certain traditions in the churches and why we do that for continuity of thought. Give them the revelation the contextual, biblical, theological revelation of why we do certain things in church and bring them along and give them a space at the table to ask the questions that we can start thinking about how we address a new generation. Ooh, this is a good conversation culture call here today. I know it. I know it might have ruffled the feathers of some of you, but I listen, if you're listening with the open heart and open ears, you can hear that maybe we need to do a little bit things things different and give them some space at the table so that we can be ready for what is going to happen on tomorrow. Absolutely. Listen, this is the culture call with yours truly. That's right. L. Spencer Smith right here on Praise 93.3 FM. I'm telling you, I need you to keep it right here. There's more to come. Don't miss it. And we are back right here on the culture call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. I'm telling you, we are having a my goodness, an amazing day. And some of your responses on this chat have been hilarious. And I love it. I love every bit of it. And I I was reading through the chat and just kind of, you know, thinking about which which comment should I share in these last few minutes of the show because we've had an amazing show today. You know, and why I did this show because I really believe that part of our human assignment is one generation to not allow another generation to fail. I believe that's the inheritance. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I think that's not just money, but I think it's about shared wisdom. It's about understanding that we are the continuity and the context for each other. That my grandparents left something to my parents. My parents left something to me. I'm giving something to my children, and one day my children, prayerfully, will give what I've given to them to their children. And I think that's how it ought to go. I think the reason why I want to bring out millennials today as opposed to any other generation, because 
they are the generation, I believe, the first of its kind, you know, are first in a, a, a few generations that are really challenging and are not falling back into the fear of the normal or the fear of, of abandoning the norms. They are willing, quite willing, to abandon and up in normalcy to be able to create and craft a world by which worth, value, equity, you know, equality really exists. Emergences of this in the civil rights movement, post uh, uh, in the reconstruction movement, yeah, all of that, you know, the, the challenge and the tenor of each generation is how you will bring to bear your voice. And seemingly after we fought generations or uh, generations previous to our civil rights fought, you know, uh, and, and got equity in the 80s and 90s, they kind of rested on their laurels and says, OK, all right, well, we can rest right now. We can X, Y, Z. We can, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is in every generation, every generation, if they're not careful, if they don't understand their history, they're destined to repeat it. And I think that's very important for us to really bring out as Generation uh, X uh, and the baby boomers to not take their place at the table, to take away their space at the table, to know that, yes, we've lived a while and we know some things. There's some things we know. (laughs) You know, that's what my mom and dad used to tell me. Hey, there's some things I know you don't know. And I mean, and they said it with that kind of force. And that was good. That was good for me because indeed there were things that, you know, that they knew about life and living that I had absolutely no clue. They would tell me things like keep on living and right. One of the things that I have at an early age, I started working with the older generation, probably the boomer generation and the silent generation. I started working with them in church when I was 12 years old. So I've always been an older kind of trending guy. I've always been this age in my mind and in my thought for a long time since I've been 12, right? Having positions in church, I was the youngest in my denomination to have the position as minister of music. And I was directing all of these older people. God had given me a gift to do voices and direct choirs at that age. And they allowed me to do that. And I was in rooms, had to be in rooms in places where I had to leave my childhood at the door, you know, uh, in order to navigate these particular spaces and places. And so being in that room at such a young age caused me to be able to create and cultivate conversations as a young man, young boy, actually. With the older, the older saints, that we, that's what we called them, older people at the time, and watch how they nuanced, sat in the room silently where they did not know that I was there, you know, because at my time, children were supposed to be seen and not heard. And I utilized that, I utilized that because uh, to, to gain wisdom and knowledge of how, you know, uh, about church, about life, about, you know, certain ideas of family and relationships. I didn't learn about politics until I got about, you know, into my uh, college years. I started college when I was 17. And, you know, just being around that, that, that age group 
And then I met uh, the man who would become my bishop, Bishop Ralph Dennis. He's uh, um, my bishop in uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, Kingdom Fellowship Covenant Ministries. He, he told me when he first met me here, I started pastoring. He first met me in 1998. And he said, maybe you are the Joseph that God is sending to, you know, before us, to Egypt, before we even get there. That means that you, even though you've been hanging around us older guys, that that you cannot abandon your youthful context, your bridge to the next generation, the youthful generation. Talking about the millennials. He says you cannot abandon your children and those who are your age and those who are younger. You got to bring them on, even as you relate to us. I remember when I was sitting in my Episcopal catechism um, to to uh, be consecrated to the office of bishop, I all I mean all those guys were older than me, older than me, and one guy, one man I can remember. Um, his name was Bishop Wilbert Baltimore, and he would just look at me, and I'm, I mean I'm just green. I mean literally, I probably in him I got similac around my mouth, right? But he would sit in this in this chair sideways, and he would just stare at me. The whole, the whole catechism, the whole interview, the whole, while they were questioning and all that kind of stuff. And they were asking me questions and investigating my family, investigating my college life, all this kind of thing. You know, they were doing a deep dive on all things L. Spencer Smith, right? Because they want to make sure that I qualify, especially at this young man. They were take, as this young man, they were taking a significant risk on, on, on me, Um Having to sit in this in these tables at at this table with them, you know, uh, to be able to adjudicate spiritual matters, to pastor churches and oversee all of these different kinds of things, and he would sit there and just look at me, didn't ask too many questions, and finally he began to ask me a question like, uh, "Do you really believe that you're ready to sit in a room with us old guys who have been here some years? What what can you offer us?" And my response was, I can offer you a hand to understanding the future. Because you know where you've been. But I know I'm of the generation to you having to look at us and where we're going. And and yeah, I'm going to have to hold your hand one day to lead you, to guide you. I'm going to have to be your eyes one day. And you're going to have to trust me to lead you, right? Uh, uh, until the Lord takes you home. And he's like, well said, young man. <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday. And Culture Call, what was funny is that now I can see that all coming to pass. I can all see that sitting in those with those sage men, sitting uh, with the late Bishop Kenneth Mose and sitting at the, and with the late Bishop J. Delano Ellis and me sitting at the College of Bishops those years. Uh, you know, uh, the first, the innovative thought that when, even when Carlton Pearson came to do his uh, his treatise on the gospel of inclusion, I sat in the sanctuary at Mount Calvary Holy Church in Washington, D.C. I was one of the youngest ones in that room and just listening to it, intriguing. I said, this is going to be something that we're going to have to toggle with in the future. And while one generation is running away from it and disconnecting from it, no, there's a generation that's coming to, that's going to that that's going to ask questions. They're going to research they're going to begin to look at this context, this Bible, this this culture, and the way we consistently live and ask the question, 
did Jesus mean to leave anybody out? Right? That That's the question that that this generation now <laughs> that I saw years ago is asking, should anybody be left out? They're asking, what is sin? What is the sin nature? What And, and all of that. It, 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 you know, what is that whole context? Where we, is there really a hell? Is there meaning to go? Is there, was there a meaning for that? What is that issue? You know? And of course, you know, when you read the text, when you read the text from a, a surface perspective, oh yes, hell, 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 of course. But when you read it in the, when you read it from a scholastic or an academic perspective, you have to study down into that. It's not that there's not a hell. The issue is who's going. The, the issue is, and who has a right to send anybody there, right? Should we make the, the teenage mother stand up before the church and apologize? Is that biblical? Is that theological before the whole church? Is that something that we should be doing? Are we acting like Jesus or are we acting like the religious Pharisees that the woman caught in adultery brought her and drug her before Jesus? And the Bible says that when he did, when they did that, they did that not to prove her guilt or innocence. It had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with trapping Jesus to see if Jesus would follow that law. Are we still doing that same thing? Because we don't ever bring the boy up in front. So why are we castigating the women? Are we still that generation that does not see the, the level of agency and parity and compliment and each other's, you know, and in, 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 in each other's gender and sexuality? Are we still looking at uh, women from a second class citizenry? Yeah. Today. That we're still making them preach from floors? While we grace the pulpit with with looted past with with, with past and drunkards and womanizers and philanderers and and and, and stealers, are we still doing that? We're not providing full agency for every person. Where it says in Galatians that in Christ Jesus there is no Jew, no Greek, no bond, no free. Watch this one: no male or female. That we are all one in Christ. And millennials are saying we need to look back at that. We need to look at what the text really says, not how we feel about it. And so, yes, that some of their verbiage and some of their perspectives may make us upset, may make us like, y'all need to hush. We, we, we got this. No. No. What did Jesus say? Yeah. What did Jesus say about the children? These sin in the children church, he says, suffer them to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. There is something that embracing the kingdom of God like a child that's much needed in this generation. Because if we push them too far in the back, then we can't get mad. And if we don't make space for them where we are, we can't get mad when they go to drugs and guns and gangs. We can't get mad at them because we've not made space for them, relevant space. And no, they're not wearing bobby socks and fluffy dresses. They're not wearing ties and, and three-piece suits anymore. No, some come in with, with no haircuts. Yeah, but Millennial says, hey, let them come how they come. And let us help them. Let us help them. Let us help. Help. Uh, let, let us help them connect to what we believe and what we feel in their place. Let us help them. 
We can't be that older generation that looks down our nose on them and their gen- while they're trying to help their children and grandchildren and be like, well, that ain't the way we did it. No, it ain't the way we did it. Because, hey, that was not, that was our time. That was, we had the agency, the prime agency in that time. We still have agency, but this time belongs to the millennials. And we need to walk with them and strengthen them, give them a space at the table, and offer them wisdom and guidance and covering and protection and insight. While they say we're innovating toward the future so we won't be late, last or lost, we need each other to come together alongside one another. So every generation, silent, boomer, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z, every last one can be represented in this awesome context of what's happening in the world. Absolutely. Listen, this is the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3. We've got a little bit more, almost at the close to another show, but I need you to keep it right here and don't miss it. This is the world premiere. What an amazing conversation we have had on this Culture Call this morning. I'm telling you, today we are revved up and we are ready to partner with each generation, understanding that the key critical generation that we're dealing with right now is the, yes, millennial generation. I believe that in every space and span of time, we have to recognize and give full value and agency to the agents, uh, to the generation that is present in context and ahead. I believe that. If not, will be late, last, and lost, especially in our black community. If you're recognizing that a lot of our civic leaders, a lot of our religious leaders and political leaders are are younger now. If you look at it, over all time, the leaders have been young. Martin Luther King was young. Yeah, Ralph Abernathy was young. <laughs> These are not old guys. No, Malcolm X was young. Medgar Evers was young. Absolutely. So when you think about it, they all they all created a, a and reshaped the world and deconstructed evil and confronted violence and viciousness in the millennial stages of their lives. They were struck down primarily in their millennial season. And so when you look at it from a historical context, yeah, you know, Gen X and Boomers, we have to understand that by the time that most history makers really made their mark on history, it was in their millennial frameworks of their particular generation, but it was in the millennial context and frameworks of their generation. What I'm saying now is today, maybe our sons, our daughters, our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren, maybe our children, we need to partner with them and tell them that, yeah, you are the history makers now. We've we've had our time and we're still working. We ain't, we ain't, no, we're not tired yet. But you've got the strength. You've got the innovation. You've got the state of mind. And you've got a grasp on this time and culture and world that we don't have. And so we are partnering with you to provide wisdom. We are your coaches. We are in your corner to remind you, yeah, that God's best is functioning in in you right now. Don't live a life of regret. Don't live a life of fear and complaint. 
Don't live a life of second guessing and self-sabotaging who you are. From that mid 50 to late 20s, don't you don't have time to waste time. You've got what you need. You've got two generations ahead of you giving you wisdom. Now you go innovate. You've got the strength. My when I was growing up, they said they call the old because they know the way, but they call the young because they're strong. That's not necessarily how the text actually goes, but I understood the sentiment that there is a partnership. Doesn't mean that the young don't know anything. It just means that the older have a different kind of experience that they're willing to share. And so millennials, we have your back. Yeah, we have your back. You are the history makers and we're going to push you just like we've shaped history. You're going to do the same as well. Absolutely. Heaven help you today. Listen, like my grandmama and mama used to say at the end of every phone call, I love your bushel, I love your peck, and I love your hug around the neck. This has been the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. Listen, do good, be well, treat everybody kind, love intentionally, and have a great rest of your day. Love you, CC family. Peace out.